and I and I know that nowadays there are many, especially young people, paying close attention to their ancestors. And I think that's a very interesting uh, phenomenon because that shows also sometimes certain deep interest in going, if you will, back to the roots and acknowledging that certain, at least certain, uh, ideals of the postmodern society are not fully satisfied. And even though we have been progressing in so many fields of knowledge, scientific and technology and so on, that it does not necessarily speak about the well-being and our development, internal development. So sometimes this shows that we are trying to, we are starting to appreciate, oh, some people in the old times, if you will, more prob most probably were happier than us. Welcome back to the Array of Faith podcast, season two, episode two. We have a special treat today. We are featuring Swami Padmanama. Swami Padmanama is a writer, monk, speaker, and a renowned practitioner of the ancient mystic tradition of bhakti yoga in America and Europe. Born to a Catholic family in Argentina, at age 19, Swami began a priestly monastic life through an in-depth exploration of Hindu devotional Vedanta, also known as Bhakti. This would eventually become Swami's spiritual life path. At age 28, he officially accepted the order of sannyas, which involves being actively engaged in the world without becoming attached to it. Swami Pabanama continues to develop and work on academic projects related to philosophy, psychology, art, and social awareness through his many discussions, seminars, retreats, articles, and on social media. He is currently working on his first book, which attempts to explain the gap between atheism and theism in contemporary language. Welcome to the podcast, Swami. We are so glad you're here. Thank you so much, Dana. It's my pleasure to be with you. Oh, thank you so much. Well, and you are certainly a friend of Wake Tech. In fact, um, my, my former students will remember you traveling all the way from Argentina to be with us in person in class a few semesters ago, and the students still talk about their experience of you and what an impression you made. And so I'm grateful that you are here with us in this format as we are learning remotely now. So thank you. Thank you so much. And it's my pleasure to be again, shared with all of you. We're delighted and we'll jump right in. So we have three standard questions that we're asking practitioners this season. And our first one is simply about describe your current religious and spiritual perspective and your current practice. Mm -hmm. Okay. So Regarding my current religious, spiritual perspective and current practice, it's an interesting point because the word current has to do also with the constant uh, upgrading of one's own conception. To be honest, I'm following this tradition for more than 20 years. And I must confess that in these 20 years, so many things have changed about how I conceive my own practice, how I address all the main topics and all the main issues concerning spirituality uh, as part of the natural evolution and unfolding 
of of insects that are part of the practice itself. So <clears throat> I will say that at present moment, um, of course, as, as being a practitioner, as you say, that uh, Gaudiya Vedanta or Bhakti, this monotheistic devotional uh, stream of Vedanta, I, um, let's say in a situation where um, very much uh, concerned or, or interested in, in going deeper into the ultimate ideal of my practice in one sense, which may sound quite otherworldly. I won't, I won't enter into the full detail here about that, but my point is on one side, this, this special call into the inner depths of one's own uh, practice and your ultimate stage of attainment, if you will. And at the same time, uh, very, very quite concerned about how to do that in such a way that may be fully, with full integrity, if you will, without the least uh, degree of being evasive, but actually trying to integrate everything into this idea of transcendence. For me, this is a very important point when we speak in about transcendence as transcendentalists that we are in any path beyond even my own path. It's very important to understand the concept of transcending not as dismissing or not as rejecting, but actually as a higher degree of integration, reaching a higher synthesis. So for us in Gaudiya Vedanta, we have some type of panentheistic view of reality when we conceive of everything around us as integrated with the divine as one of its different shaktis or energies or potencies, we included in one of those categories, the world included in one of those categories. So the point is, if we want to reach a higher level of communion with the divine, that should be in, term, in full integral, term, comprehensive terms, where nothing is left out. Because actually, again, for us in our particular Vedantic perspective uh, called also Ved Aved, I'm sorry for torturing you with so many new Sanskrit terms, <laughs> but Ved Aved refers to the idea that we have God and we have also the energies of God, the energetic source and its potencies. So both of them are inseparable, but at the same time, we can speak about them in terms of different expressions, like the sun and its rays and so on. So my point is, if we want to reach some loving communion with God, as it is the case in the path of bhakti that I'm trying to, to thread, we want to really uh, encompass, again, uh, all that God implies. So that has to do with all his energies as well, including ourselves, including this world. So my point, again, is I may be very, I'm very uh, inspired trying to go deeper into the ultimate reach of my own tradition, but also all that implies a proper embrace, if you will, of uh, all that the divine implies. And that starts uh, right now at home, if you will, in the world with my case, in my daily dealings with, with people in this world. So that will be a, a way of describing my present uh, stage, my present, present step in the ladder that I am in now after uh, 20 years of practice and, and also I'm very much concerned about yes while trying to be as essential as possible substantial as possible in, in my in my own practice and in the way I represent that to others through discourse and so on trying to 
properly harmonize all the relativity, and this is again connected to the previous point, all the relativity that, that may be according to the particular time of the world that I'm living in, to the particular culture I was brought in and I'm speaking to nowadays on the different currents of thought, contemporary thought, and how all that can be taken into consideration when presenting a message that is in one sense ancient or eternal even, uh, in such a way that it may sound really uh, updated, if you will, according to each one's necessity. Because actually for us, this message and the ultimate uh, truth about spirituality are always in a state of constant, if you will, updating and upgrading. And all of us are somehow or other looking after that. So some brief words trying to describe my current uh, religious spiritual perspective and as well my, my my current practice as well thank you thank you swami that's i really appreciate too that, that you spoke to our current times our current culture and how that impacts your perspective and your practice and keeping it up to date and informed and that leads us sort of into our next question and i'll, I'll have more follow-up questions too because you brought up so many wonderful points in question one but our next question is you know how have these different i'll call them circles of your life in terms of identity as, you know, growing up in Argentina as Catholic, and then your identity as a Hindu, your identity as a monk and priest, um, you know, all of your identities and your community, your heritage, how has all of that shaped your experience and your faith? Mm. Yes, this is a great question also. Uh, yeah, the concept of identity is something that, of course, at every time in history, humans have been struggled with trying to find an identity, trying to find basically themselves through the process of identification with a particular uh, ideal or with a particular faith. I will say the other day we were speaking here about faith in connection to purpose, mm -hmm. uh, because I think that's a very also contemporary and updated way of speaking about faith. Sometimes the word faith may be not that well uh, appreciated or may be misapprehended by many because as we may know in the name of faith, some things, some unbecoming things have been going on, but actually the very idea of faith is totally uh, intuitive and um, inherent for any one of us, atheistic people included. And I will relate that conception mainly with the idea of purpose and also participation you know? faith is something that we participate in it's an exchange it's a relationship and of course all this is really intimately tied with the conception of identity because from day one if you will we, we are looking for ourselves uh, and knowing or not we are looking for our source and ourselves in connection to a particular uh, reference point and we are like moving from one sense of identity to another, one type of designation to another. This also receives sometimes in Sanskrit the name of upadi, which is translated as designation or sometimes more technically like uh, uh, limiting adjunct, where sometimes we, in our attempt to be someone, we kind of identify in one direction or another, but in such a way that that's still not affording the full experience of who, not only who we are, but who we can be 
in connection to a particular environment. For us as, as practitioners of Bach, this idea is very intimately connected with the idea of identity, environment. According to the particular environment we are in, a particular type of identity will emerge. So if we surround ourselves from a spiritual environment, that will give rise to a spiritual sense of identity and, and in this way gradually evolve and be, become further and further uh, upgraded, if you will. So in my personal case, I yes, I was raised, as you mentioned, in Argentina in the context, in the context of the Christian background. So personally, I think that, of course, I, I, we don't have to enter into the details of my my childhood and every details of my, my, my biography, if you will. But in brief words, um, I for sure, I'm aware that there are many uh, samskars, to use another Sanskrit terms, which means impressions that I have been imbibed from, of course, my very birth. And of course, in our tradition, we also conceive the idea of many lifetimes and reincarnation and karma, as you may know. So we do not think in terms of, I'm starting this life in zero if you will, without any impressions whatsoever. So we already come to this particular life with certain, a lot, if you will, of um, different influences that are creating a sense of personality and that continues in these lifetimes and so on till we really are able to identify ourselves with our ultimate, uh, if you will, spiritual designation that will be a permanent one beyond the influences, temporary influences of, of time, place, and material sphere. But that said, uh, I'm not, I really appreciate the fact of being born wherever I was born and being raised in the environment I was raised. I was, I feel very fortunate. My parents were really uh, pious people. And I received lots of ideals from them. And uh, in this connection, uh, I received a very strong foundation of of family life and, and community, because if you will, we, when we speak about community, first thing we will have to go through is family and community, the very word speaks to us about the common union. So I kind of received that strong foundation by being with my family and gradually that starts to, to unfold and extend uh, beyond my parents, if you will, to a wider sense of communities. That's how it works, how our, our very uh, self and consciousness gradually expand from a very maybe selfish perspective. I am the center. Eventually you realize there are some other people and, and the, the immediate extension will be your family. And from there you go to, oh, okay, but my family is not only my parents, but I have my neighborhood, my friends, my country, my planet, <laughs> my race as humans. And gradually we'll start to, to expand, 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 as you mentioned, the circle to the point that everything is included there. No, I'm no longer thinking in terms of my group and something else on the other side. No? So our message actually basically points in that direction. Eventually reaching this point, as in Sanskrit they say, uh, there is actually only one family. There is one Sanskrit uh, verse that basically this says this, Basudhaiva Kutumbakam means there's no more than one family. Of course, we have to begin somewhere so we've been with our family, if you will, our, but eventually we realize I'm part of a greater family, universal family. So in this way, all these types of influences have helped and shaped my, my faith and my sense of purpose in life to the point of really wanting to be part of that uh, universal, all-pervading all 
family connected to the divine. Thank you. Thank you, Swami. I really appreciate that. And you illustrated so perfectly for our students what it what it looks like and feels like to begin in one particular circle in a particular environment, which shapes identity and shapes practice, but then how the concentric circles expand beyond our first experiences into a wider sweeping experience of community, um, mm-hmm. Sangha to use, you know, as, as you said, to use Sanskrit terms. Yes. And so I think our students are on the cusp of that, you know, what, what they loved about meeting you in person those few semesters ago was that, you know, you're, you're a young person. And so they see a vibrant young person who is a few years ahead of them, but, but, the, but you know what it feels like to be on the cusp of that journey. And that's exactly where they are in their exploration at that, at this point at Wake Tech. So I really appreciate your describing that. Mm-hmm. And that transitions into our next question because our students are also looking at the religion, spirituality, and faith practices of their ancestors, their grandparents, their great-grandparents, their family heritage, and they are looking at the traditions of their peers. And so how has your faith journey um, differed from your ancestors and your peers, and maybe how is it also similar if there's differences in similar threads? Mm-hmm. Yes, well, I, I should reply to this, of course, in, if you will, great terms in the sense of it's not black and white answer, like uh, there was everything was different, everything was similar, as you may imagine, we find these two things intertwined not only in connection to ancestors and peers, but in connection to any single department of life. We will, so we will need to get accustomed gradually as we mature and grow in life to think in, in great terms, if you will. So in connection to your specific question, uh, how my faith journey was different or similar from my ancestors and peers, again, starting from my parents, which I would call, I wouldn't call them ancestors, but again, if we take the, the wider perspective of, of thinking in eternal uh, con- and eternal terms and so many people influencing our life and so on, I, I may include them in that, in that sense or also as peers, if you will, but uh, I really feel I had many points that nourish my faith and are still with me and I really have embraced them in connection to to living a, a very virtuous life and trying to be basically honest with myself and trying to present integrity at every step of my life and especially trying to deal with difficulties uh, to, to accept them, to allow uh, difficulties to be there, so-called difficulties that we know it's basically our own perception of particular things uh, and really accept that, accept uh, flaws, accept failure, and, and be willing to embrace them deeply in order to transcend them. And again, when I say transcend, I refer to integrate them into a higher synthesis. So I feel I have received them that starting from my parents. And of course, when I say my parents, that in somehow or other includes uh, part of his, their parents and their parents' parents, because you know, this DNA current comes somehow or other and the influences of the particular environment and so on. So in that sense, um, and I and I know that nowadays there are many, especially young people, paying close attention to their ancestors. And I think that's a very interesting uh, 
phenomenon because that shows also sometimes certain deep interest in going, if you will, back to the roots and acknowledging that certain, at least certain uh, ideals of the postmodern society are not fully satisfied. And even though we have been progressing in so many fields of knowledge, scientific and technology and so on, that it does not necessarily speak about the well-being and our development, internal development. So sometimes this shows that we are trying to, we are starting to appreciate, oh, some people in the old times, if you will, more prob most probably were happier than us. So nowadays we may have so many things that they didn't have, but at the same time we start to glimpse, but they had certain things that we are losing in the name of progress, if you will. So I think that's a very remarkable point that many of us should learn to see, to look towards our ancestors and not only think they are out of date, they are old people, they, are, they are, do not, did not understand the life we are living, but we should travel in time, travel back in time and appreciate the particular contribution. And regarding my peers, I will say that, for example, when I began my official, if you will, in this lifetime, I began my spiritual journey as, at the time you mentioned before, I will say that I received different, of course, reaction from them. Uh, I refer to my peers as the people of my own age that I was living with at that time. And uh, many of them, of course, encouraged me, even without having a clear idea what, what's going on. Many of them opposed to that, but in a friendly way, just being overwhelmed about my decision to becoming a monk at 19 years. But I will say that I got really immensely benefited and blessed from all of them, especially for the ones who presented some opposition because that in our tradition, we see opposition as something that comes to increase harmony. So I felt that situation that they were taking, the, the stance they were taking was helping me to increase my uh, empathy and compassion and our understanding of their own process and projecting my own process in theirs. And it was interesting because after five, 10, 20 years, depending each case, all of these peers of mine from the past who were somehow opposed, eventually each one of them started to come and manifest and get close, closer to me and inquire in a sincere way because they realized basically you are happier than us. No? <laughs> the lifestyle you adopted, even though it may seem quite weird for us, we realized we judge the fruit, but it, the tree, but it's fruits. So we see that you are peaceful, you are happy. So what's going on? Now, what's that about? So interestingly, that was a very, very revealing uh, experience for me as well. And that, and that proved that, yes, we have to be patient and compassionate to our peers, whether they are supporting us or not. And we should have our conviction in also in, in our own journey, our own ideal, if that's, we have been deeply confirmed. And finally, I receive, of course, lots of support from my peers nowadays referring to the ones who are practicing along with me and I receive lots of support from them also in these two ways you know? sometimes it comes of course we are fully uh, agreeing in our ultimate ideal but also as you may imagine as individuals we may differ in so many things that we may have sometimes things to uh, recognize and harmonize and we may have differences of opinion and all these challenging scenarios are there again to increase the harmony and to invite us to a higher synthesis to solve certain paradoxes and reach an, a new level mm, of, of unity. So in this way, I personally feel very blessed 
in all these directions. Thank you, Swami. Maharaj, I, or, um, Swami, I appreciate how um, you're talking about uh, kind of opposition or struggle and different difficulties and how that may provide opportunities for integration and kind of moving forward in our faith journey. I'm curious if you would be willing to share either a personal example where you found yourself in a situation that may have been difficult, but, but you felt like pushed you forward in your, in your faith journey, or um, maybe some examples that you have observed among your peers of, um, you know, times when they've encountered difficulty, but in the end, it actually pushed them forward. And uh, as a third option, <laughs> um, if you could describe uh, any patterns that your tradition might suggest that we could expect in our faith journeys, like what, it, what does it look like to move forward in, in one's spiritual life, in one's faith journey? Mm -hmm. Great. Well, I think I may begin by sharing some personal testimony, which is, I think, much more accurate than whenever, whatever I have, may have witnessed about regarding some other persons, which also I have for in, in tons, in great number. But I can share a personal experience and a recent one, relatively speaking, so we, we may keep ourselves updated. And it came from a very uh, unexpected experience I had to go through with one of my main teachers, one of person that for a long time has been uh, one of my main teachers in, in, my, in this spiritual path. And interestingly, and surprisingly, I must confess, uh, he started to be, to let's say, to not follow properly what's expected from that particular teaching. And I'm saying this not to discourage anyone from my own path or from any path whatsoever, but to be realistic and realize these things may happen, even though that was at least for me, the thing that I was expecting the least to happen in my whole life. And that happens. So I, I don't want, of course, with this to uh, present myself in the role of a victim, because also that's a very tempting uh, situation. And, and you find the perfect excuse to leave the path or whatever, or as I'm trying to do, hopefully <laughs> you find that as the perfect excuse, if you will, of perfect reason, I would say, to increase your commitment with your ideal. So this person that I love a lot started to, if we will get distracted by things that will be, and, and that's connected of course with the, with the last part of the question, these different patterns that we could expect that will happen in our first journey in order that we may upgrade it. Um, this person was particularly distracted by certain things that may happen when you start to make progress spiritually. This is mentioned in, in, in this tradition, the Bhakti scriptures, Bhakti tradition, for example, you may begin your journey, let's say, let's give an example, uh, struggling with anger, let's say. And eventually, you, you can, you, through your practice, through your spiritual practice, you receive enough blessings and enough uh, insights in order to overcome that anger. But the byproduct of that advancement is that you become popular, you acquire knowledge, followers appear, money comes, position manifests, 
And the point is, what will you do with all that? You will see that as gifts of God and use them in his service, or you may get uh, distracted by them, by trying to put them in your service. So my point with this is, in the beginning of your journey, maybe you didn't have knowledge, nor followers, no fame, nor position, and you may have anger, and eventually you overcome the anger, but now you have some new things <laughs> that you, are, you may become distracted with. So these things may happen there. And it's, of course, we may not be aware of them from day one, or we may know in theory that may happen, but the very different thing is to go through, through the motions and to get the experience of those things. So I think that for any spiritual practitioner, uh, one should think in terms of, okay, my practice needs to be progressive. That means I should hopefully be, be concerned with making progress in my practice on a daily basis in a sustainable way, not in a neurotic way. But I should have that healthy concern, making progress and understanding for me to make progress, I need that my faith is being tested. So I need certain so-called obstacles on the path that are not actually obstacles, are there to facilitate a higher degree of embrace, if you will, of my particular uh, tradition. So there are no enemies, but they are coming and they will require us a higher degree of, of maturity so we can accommodate things that in the beginning the stages of our faith that we may call kanishta in Sanskrit, which means in our tender faith stage, we may not be very much able to accommodate many things. So we embrace something very tightly and we seem to have a lot of faith in something, but actually we are not able to appreciate some other things outside, outside of that faith. So that speaks about the how weak is that faith yet. So in order to grow that faith in time, certain things will come and we will need to include them in such a way that they are not disturbing our faith, but actually they are nourishing our faith with diversity, with breadth, with depth. So faith should be broad and should be deep at the same time. It should be all embracing, but also should have a great capacity of uh, penetration into transcendence and for all this will need to be taken out of our comfort zone at, at least it does it that's my conviction if you want to be a real um, mystic if you will in your practice and not just follow the the particular path in an official way a bureaucratical way but in a mist internal way passionate way you want you have to you need to be a mystic and to be a mystic you need to get out of the comfort zone and see things from that particular unique perspective. You will be lovely thrown, if you will, thrown <laughs> into the realm of paradox, into the realm of the unknown. That in Christianity, they speak a lot about this, about the concept of mystery, about the concept of uh, advancing towards the unlimited, the infinite, and not being able to say too much. It's always too much. This idea of kenosis, great kenosis, like emptying yourself in order to be filled with the divine so all the things gradually will come and we shouldn't for sure be scared about them but we should feel great <laughs> hope and great joy in them and with good guidance i will say we will be much more able to deal with whatever uh, elements may come to to challenge our faith in a positive way always it's, it's very healthy to have the the close proximity of of elders spiritual elders so we know how to deal with this sometimes perplexing stages that come actually again to bless us. Thank you, Swami. 
Thank you, Swami. That's so helpful. And I know our students will really resonate with that because right now there, there are many, many struggles, challenges, and obstacles in their path spiritually, faith-wise, but also just, just in life where we're all facing some crises right now. So your, your wisdom is much appreciated. And we're so grateful to have you on the podcast. Thank you for being here. And we look forward to the day when we can see you again in person in our seated courses. And I know the students will look forward to that as well. Thank you again, Swami. Thank you so much. And me, myself, also look forward for a personal meeting as soon as we can. And meanwhile, we keep in touch in one way or another. Yes. Thank you so much. Take good care. Thank you very much to you. See you soon.